Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be humbly, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. This morning I want to talk to you about community. And um, it's an appropriate subject when uh, we are a small community. But whether we're small or large, community is at the very heart of what God came to do um, in the world. And it's unfortunately something that uh, is far too neglected in our American culture. We try to teach a gospel that says we're all individuals, we all make up our own mind, and, and we've become a very materialistic consumer-centered nation as a result. And unfortunately, this has affected the way we view the church as well. Too many churches are nothing more than simply shopping malls or places where you go to get services. We often think we go to get fed. We go to uh, get something for our needs. But actually, Jesus died for something far grander and greater uh, than that. And so I just want very briefly today, and I have, I have a thousand and one things that I'd love to say today, but given our setting, I want to be very brief and direct. And, and if you can, track with me as best you can. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to the book of Ephesians. Believe it or not, I want to almost uh, almost survey the idea of the book of Ephesians in just about 20 minutes, okay? And we're not going to talk about the whole thing, but the book of Ephesians is a great book that talks about God's design for the church. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look, for example, at the Grand Canyon, but we're not going to walk into the canyon and look down at every nook and cranny. We're not going to even stand... Uh, at the edge. We're going to fly over in a helicopter here. We're just going to get the big view. Both are important. We're just going to get the big view of what God is doing in the church. And I just want you to understand something here this morning, and you can jot this down in, in your worship notes if you like. The thing I'd like you to see initially is this, that Jesus didn't die only to save individuals. Jesus didn't die, you can go on to the next slide, uh, only to save individuals. We know that Jesus died to save individuals, but that's not the only reason that Jesus died. He didn't die only to save individuals. Jesus died to create a new community. And this is at the heart of God's plan for the universe. Now, this is a radical thought, something which is revolutionary, and yet I'm afraid we so easily miss it. Jesus didn't just die to save individuals. He died to create a new community. And this is at the heart of God's plan for the universe. At the heart of God's plan for the universe is not simply the rescuing, yes, rescuing of individual persons to faith in Jesus, but rather the gathering together of individual persons into a community. The community of faith is right at the very heart of what God is has always been doing in the universe. It's as old as the Old Testament. When God first called Abraham, remember how uh, there was God's good story and then Satan's, you know, God's good story, which is the world is created for your good and, and uh, under my lordship, you can enjoy it and live in freedom. Satan's bad story came in and said, you know, God's not really looking out for your best interest. You can look out for yourself and uh, uh, you'll be better off 
making you up your own mind. Trauma came to the world. Uh, 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 the world became broken by our sin. And ultimately, in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to a man named Abraham, and he calls him to follow him. And he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then later he says, in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. So God was trying to call Abraham in order to establish a community through whom he could bless the world. Well, we know that became the nation of Israel ultimately. And they uh, established a covenant with God on Mount Sinai uh, when God uh, saved them from Egypt and gave them the rules to follow, but hardly had they even heard the rules before they began to disobey him. And the community became fractured. And it's a story of broken blessings often. And so we have the nation of Israel separating and fighting, ultimately landing in decay and in exile. And ultimately then Jesus shows up into this scene as the faithful and true Israelite who is coming now to reestablish God's new community. And so when Jesus comes, he goes, uh, uh, he goes in, uh, into, the, uh, uh, into the Jordan and is baptized, which is similar like to the crossing of the Red Sea. He goes into the wilderness and he communes with God for 40 days and he comes and begins to announce the kingdom of God. And what does he do? First of all, he stands on a mountain, not the Mount Sinai, but the Sermon on the Mount and establishes his new covenant. You have heard it said... But I say unto you, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He gives the new law, the new covenant, the new uh, 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 testament, if you will, between God and man. And what does he do? But he calls together to himself 12 men reminiscent of the 12 tribes of Israel, reconstituting the people of God in himself, and he ultimately teaches the message of the kingdom of God, proclaims it, and shares his life with 12 men who ultimately abandon him and then finally become the seed through whom the church is born. And these 12 men are the new community through God's, where God's kingdom will then begin to uh, take uh, uh, root and rule in the whole earth until the ultimate day when God will come and establish a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? So Jesus didn't die only to save individuals. He saves individuals in order to create a new community, and this is at the heart of God's plan for the universe. What that means for us is this. What's at the heart of God's plan for the universe is not the United States government, not the Chinese government, not the Indian government, not the political system which you, or the political party which you affirm. At the heart of what God is doing in the universe is not even riding bulls on Friday nights in the buffalo chip. At heart of what God is doing in the universe is this group gathered here as a community of faith and millions of other groups around the earth. That is what God is doing in the universe. And this is what God has always been doing. So let's talk three questions today as we think about the community. Why does it matter? Secondly, community. How do we maintain it? And thirdly, community. What is its foundation? Community, first of all, why does it matter? It matters, number one, because God has called us to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be reading a lot from Scripture today, um, and uh, I hope you'll be able to, and I didn't print them all up for you, uh, I hope you'll be able to um, um, attentively follow them because they're foundational and fundamental for us to understand. Keep in mind, we're taking a helicopter view of God's view of history and God's view of the church. Why does it matter? Number one, because God has called us... uh, to faith in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 
1 through 10. You will note as you see these texts come by that they almost follow more or less consecutively through the scope of this book of Ephesians, okay? The book of Ephesians is a book about the church. Someday we may study it in detail, but now I just want you to get the helicopter view, okay? God has called us to faith in Christ. Listen to the text. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air. See, that's the Satan story, the self story that we've been following since the Garden of Eden was fractured. And the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following his desires and lusts. Um... Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's the bad news. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because, excuse me, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in, with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions and, and our sins. By grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that... In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This is the first part of the story of redemption. This is the story of how God has rescued us. In verses 1 to 3, it's all about us and what we did and how we lived and how we were by nature objects of wrath. But in verses 4 and following, it's all about God. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. It's what God has done. And the gospel message is that you cannot save yourself, but God has saved you. He has come to you and given his life for you, uh, made you alive, raised you up, and seated you. There's a visual image. He, he, he resuscitated us, he raised us, and he seated us with him so that we can uh, live life on a higher plane what we would say we can live a more fundamentally human life the way we were created to live in partnership with God not separate from God okay this is all about God's initiative it's a message of grace it's the beautiful message it's what describes us it's the message of an evangelical church that God has brought us to faith in Christ this is the beautiful message that God has Jesus has died to save us from our sins. There's nothing wrong about this message. It's just that it's not the whole story. There's more to what God wanted to do than simply resuscitate you to a new life so that he can meet your needs and make you into whatever you want yourself to be. No, there's more that God is doing. Jesus didn't just die to save individuals. He died to create a new community. And so the second thing about community is after we see that God has called us to faith in Christ, we see that God has gathered us as a community of love. That should come up next up there, I hope. God has gathered us as a community of love. It's a little bit like a family. Each of us most likely was born into a family. And when we're born into a family, yes, we have life, but we have life in the context of relationships with others. We have parents, we have brothers, we have sisters. And the same is true when you and I make a commitment to Christ. We don't just become a lone ranger Christian. We become part of a community of Christians, and this is part of God's design. God has gathered us as a community of love. And we see this 
throughout, I can't read this whole text probably, uh, although it's, it's just a beautiful text and yet very often forgotten. Notice what he says. Now, when Paul is writing, he's not writing to what are generally Jewish people. He's writing to people who uh, were of Gentile background. They did not have the promises of Abraham given to them. And so as a consequence, they were outside of God's blessing until Jesus came. That's why he says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Verse 12, remember that at that time... Notice these words of, uh, of distance. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to, to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. In the past, you were on the outside looking into the blessings of God. They were specifically for the people uh, uh, who, who were descendants of Abraham. But now, remember in verse 5, but now... See, but now God has made us alive. Is it verse 5 or verse 4? Uh, yeah, verse 4. But, but because of his great mercy, God is rich in mercy. And now in, in this verse, but now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Far away and now brought near. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. What's the two? The two is two kinds of humanity. Those who are part of the children of promise and those who are, the part, who are not part of the children of promise. Those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles. Now God has brought the two into one has dis- and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross you see God's purpose in sending Jesus wasn't just to give you an individual relationship with God though it did mean to give you that it also meant to create a whole you notice what it says there in that verse his purpose was to create in himself one new uh, man out of the two. He's trying to create a whole new humanity. See, we are called at, uh, we are called to become living witnesses to God's new creation in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 Some of you memorize it when you were children. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All th- old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you are found in Christ, you become a new creation. And we are meant as a community of followers of Jesus to be part of God's new creation. We're to become living witnesses of the future in the present. That future day when people will live in fellowship with God is supposed to be happening in our presence today. So he's creating a whole new humanity and it costs the blood of Jesus Christ to do that. For through him, verse 18 says, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, he says in verse 9, remember those words from before that you were excluded and foreigners and separate. Now he says, consequently, in verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You see, we're made part of a brand new family. We're part of a whole new family. What is that family? It is the church. The church made of Jews and Gentiles united together under the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Next verse, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined in whom the... uh, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. What's this building? It's men and women, boys and girls, black and white, Mexicans and Americans, Republicans and Democrats, communists and uh, capitalists becoming a lot. It's hard to imagine, right? And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. <laughs> United together as a new... Is that revolutionary? Would it be? Yes, it is. Should it be? Yes, it should. So many of us never think about the fact that you may have more in common with the man you pay 10 bucks an hour to clean your yard than with the neighbor next to you who looks just like you. And you think sometimes, and when we do that, we are living by the old way. Not by the new way. Not by the new way. When you care more about where that man was born than whether that man knows Jesus, you're thinking the old way. Not by the new way. Is that revolutionary? Yes. Is that the Jesus way? Yes. That's the scandalous grace that you were alluding to earlier, Steve. We're a new temple a new community, a new kind of people. We've talked about this in our small group, but, and I can't take the time now, but in our small group, we've talked about the early church in Philippi. And we don't know a lot about that church in Philippians, but we do know that in that church, there was a, a, a lady, who, a, a, Christ, a Christian businesswoman uh, named Lydia. And there was a Roman jailer who was in the, in the employ of the Roman government. And there was a, uh, a slave girl who had, a, had had a spirit of prophecy, a, a formerly demon-possessed woman. And these people met her on this, were part of the same church. Imagine the differences. Imagine all the social pressure to divide them. But remember what brought them together. Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul went to Philippi. There was not even enough people for a synagogue in Philippi. He found some God-fearers worshiping by the river, some women and a couple of men. They spoke the word of the gospel, and the Christian businesswoman responded and said, you want to meet in my place? She responded to Jesus. Later on, they got in trouble. They were thrown into jail. They were singing all night the praises of God. God threw an earthquake, opened the doors of the jail. The jailer says he's ready to kill himself in Acts chapter 16. And, uh, uh, and, and Paul says, don't do it. We haven't left. And then he says in 1630 or so, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And so his whole family were baptized that night. Um, and then, of course, the reason that they had been in jail is because they were walking along the way, and this woman who was a, who was a slave girl who had a, 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 an evil spirit kept following Paul and saying, this man is the representative of God. Listen to him. And Paul listened to it for several days and finally got tired of it. And he said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. He cast the demon out of her. And, of course, so she stopped um, uh, being possessed by a demon and stopped earning money for her employers or for her owners, and now she's a part of that community. And these are the people that are brought together. This is an example, like in Ephesians, of a temple of people who, um, you know, in in the Jewish world, it was right to hate the Gentiles. 
And yet now they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay. I get excited about it. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I'm skipping down to verse uh, 6. This mystery, well, the mystery is this new humanity, this new community, this new church, this ecclesia, these people called together by Christ. This mystery is, the mystery is that through the gospel, the good news, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Now we hear that and we think, oh, well, sure. Oh my goodness, you do not know how revolutionary that was. Way more revolutionary than anything I've hinted at this morning. That Gentiles are, are heirs together because of the gospel. Members together with one body. Sharers together of the promise in Christ Jesus. God, Jesus didn't die just to save individuals. He died to create a new community. And this is the heart of God's plan for the universe. So the third reason why it matters, God is called us to faith in Jesus Christ. God has gathered us as a community of love. And then finally, God has sent us as a witness to the world. When we speak about our church, we speak about our church as ecclesia, those who are called and gathered and sent. We're called to faith in Christ, gathered as a community of love and sent with a message of hope for the world. And it's hinted at here in this text itself in uh, verses seven, uh, 7 to 13. I became a servant of this gospel. And I'm going down just to verse 10 specifically. Um, oh, there's so much. Well, let me, let me start a little bit before that in verse 8. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which in the ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the ecclesia, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are your glory. See, what is it that he's saying in verse 10? That God's intent was that through the church, God's intent was that through the church, the manifold witness of Christ would be proclaimed to the principalities and the powers. And that seems foolish. And yet that's exactly what happened. Because Rome fell, but the church survived. Rome fell, but the people of God thrived and grew. So God has sent us as living witnesses of God's new creation in Christ. That's why community matters. Well, um, next thing we want to see, community, how do I maintain it? How do we maintain it? Um, I'm just going to be very brief about this. Uh, chapter 4, that was the text that Ashley read for us. As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. This calling to be a community together. Live worthy of that calling. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, forbearing with one another in love. So how do we maintain it? Number one, humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. The reality is that living together as a community is not easy. Think about those words. Uh, Think about what it's like even for us sometimes. Those of us who know well enough Others well and know one another well enough yet. Are there some times when I need to be humble as I relate to you as my community? Yes, because I have the danger of being prideful and wanting my own way. Do you have that problem sometimes? We all do. It's not easy to build community. Gentle. Are there some times when I have to be careful I don't just run over people's feelings? Yes, I've done it. I've had to apologize for it, you know? Are there times when I need to be patient with you and my community? Well, yes, because I want things now sometimes. I want you to see things my way. Are there some times when I need to exercise forbearance, which means just putting up with less than perfect sound systems that don't work, you know, things that don't happen like we expect. See, that's why he says, This is a beautiful vision, but don't think it comes easy. Don't think it... Everybody wants community until they have to actually try it. (laughs) Everybody wants a great marriage until they actually are in a marriage, right? (laughs) And they realize, hmm, it's harder than I thought. Everybody wants a good working relationship until they're actually in that working relationship and there's conflict. This does not mean everything is all hunky-dory and smooth for us. It means that uh, we need to exercise... Humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. He says, I urge you, make every effort to keep the unity. And that's the second thing that I want to share with you. And that is, it takes love and hard work. How do we maintain it? It takes love and hard work. Bearing with one another in love Make every, you see, we're not called to make unity. We're called to keep unity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It is there. Between you and me, there is a unity because of Christ. If I'm not careful, I will ignore it, right? I will get caught up with other things. But there is a unity because of what Christ has done. I've got to make sure I don't let other stuff get in the way of it. I've got to be diligent and persistent and humble and gentle and patient because this is what this is our way how did Jesus say the world would recognize we're his disciples we know that by our love by our love and so it's absolutely critical I mean how many people are have rejected Christianity purely because of the lack of love they see in Christians we know people like that they're hypocritical they're into themselves They're myopic. No. We need to love humbly and gently. How do we maintain it? Well, briefly then, and thirdly, community, what is its foundation? If we're not careful, if we stop right here in chapter 4, we will end up living by law and not by grace. Giving rules, okay, be more humble, be more gentle. And we'll say, okay, I'm going to be more humble, right? I'm going to be more gentle. And we get self-motivated towards that. And that only leads us to more, lo- more legalism, more, um, more um, frustration and more guilt. But what is the foundation 
of our community. Well, I want you to see three things real simply. Number one, the foundation, and this is found in that beautiful prayer that I skipped over in verses 14 through 21. Let me read it before I give you those three things. For this reason, that is to say, this new community which God has created, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then this doxology closes that section. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in ecclesia and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Oh, this is such a beautiful prayer. And it lets us know that the foundation of unity is not ourselves, but it's found in three things. Number one, it is found in the gracious will of the Father. In the gracious will of the Father. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. This has been not a story about you. It's been a story about the Father who's given to us his Son, who works everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. We have this community because of God's decision to give it to us, to grant it to us. Um, and uh, uh, we, we need his strength, all right? The gracious will of the Father. The second foundational principle is the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. The incredible power of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says as it continues. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner beings so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, you and I have within us the resources to be a community of Christ. It doesn't come from you and me. It comes from him. We simply need to open ourselves to it, to that Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul is praying that we would be open to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life the foundation of community, the gracious will of our Father, this, the incredible power of the Holy Spirit, and then finally, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. So that Christ may dwell, so that you, uh, uh, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ. This is why we need to gather to remember the love of Jesus because let's face it, every one of us sitting here in this room at one point or another during the last hour has had, neg has had thoughts about, oh, well, I wish this were true <laughs> or, oh, wouldn't it be great we need to be reminded of God's love, reminded of God's power, reminded of God's spirit, that Jesus, 
who was the faithful follower, gave his life for us, to give to us his love. And look, look at these words, grasp how wide, how wide is God's love? How long is God's love? How high is God's love? How deep is Christ's love? And then in verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know a love that surpasses knowledge? It's bigger than our ability to to receive it, and yet it's ours in Christ. So we gather today to be reminded of the simple sacrificial love of Jesus, that as Jesus laid down his life for us, we also laid on our lives for a world incredibly divided, incredibly selfish, incredibly confused, and we may find ourselves getting crucified a little ourselves, but that's okay because that's the Jesus way. Let's have prayer as we close. In Jesus, Jesus, I ask you that you would give to us some appreciation for the height and breadth and depth and length of your love. Thank you for having given your life for us. Thank you for the new community which you create and that you want to create in us. I pray that you would uh, give us the ability to become living witnesses of your new creation by becoming a community of faith and love and hope so that the world may see in us truth in relationship and purpose that cuts across the falsities, the superficialities, and the meaninglessness of what constitutes much of our popular culture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.